0: how we must be aware of the demand that Christ uh, prove himself to us before we will submit to him by faith. Uh, We've been looking together at what turns out to be a very important moment in the story of the Lord Jesus. The 16th chapter of of Matthew's Gospel is a very significant change that begins to occur in Jesus' ministry, especially toward his disciples. Uh, prior to this time, Jesus had not said anything to them about the cross. As far as they were, uh, knew, they would be following Jesus until he assumed his rightful place upon the throne of David in Jerusalem. And there he would begin his glorious rule as the king of the Jews. But when we come to verse 21, we read that he shares some startling news with them. He says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto His disciples how that He must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. So when we come to the end of chapter 16, we find it announced that Jesus is drawing very close to that very important crisis point, the crisis point of the cross. And I don't believe we can appreciate what we read in chapter 16 unless we understand that. Uh, the fact that cross is uh, looming very large in the Savior's view at this time. But there's another crucial point in this chapter that I think we need to keep uh, in mind. It's very important. Prior to revealing to the disciples His destiny, uh, that is that He must go to Jerusalem to die on the cross, He had been revealing to them along the way about his identity. Uh, The works that he did before their eyes had progressively revealed to them that he was the Son of of God in human flesh. So it's in this chapter that we have a progressive revelation of his identity becomes uh, more important uh, uh, in in, uh, an affirmation of this particular truth. This is a pivotal uh, pivotal chapter in Matthew's Gospel. It's a pivotal moment in the earthly ministry of our Savior. So much of what has happened prior to this was meant to bring the disciples and then actually us, as we've studied it, as we've read it, we've studied it, to the point of a bold affirmation of what Peter says in verse 16. Uh, This Jesus, who was about to die on the cross, is none other than Christ's, the Son of the living God. And I believe that Matthew would have agreed with what John says in the conclusion of his gospel account in John chapter 20 and verse 30 and 31, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. Now, when we come to uh, this particular chapter, we find that it's not coincidental that it's a pivotal chapter which begins with the story of some struggling with the increased testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. It begins with opposition he received from those who did not believe him. And it presents us with some lessons as well uh, and what it means to truly believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and to seek Him with a sincere heart. Now, we looked at this story a bit last Sunday, and the context of this story it was a miracle. Uh, Jesus had fed multitudes of people with a few small loaves of bread and a few small fish, and the disciples were intimately involved in this miracle. Jesus took the loaves, remember, and the fish and gave thanks to the Father, For them, he broke them and distributed uh, this food uh, through the disciples, and it was the disciples who uh, then saw this miracle firsthand. Then, immediately following uh, the feeding of these great crowds, Jesus and his disciples would leave to go to the opposite side of the Sea of Galilee, and there he would be met with unbelief. It's then that he teaches us a very important lesson about seeking Him with a sincere heart. So let's begin reading in chapter 16 this morning, uh, in beginning in verse 1, our text. Matthew 16 and verse 1 says, The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempted, tempting, desired Him that He would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. In the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but ye cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas, And he left them and departed. And when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. And then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Verse 7, And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread, which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves, because ye have brought no bread? Do ye not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand and how many baskets ye took up, Uh, neither the seven loaves of the four thousand and how many baskets ye took up? How is it that ye do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then understood they how he had bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but the doctrine, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now last Sunday we pointed out that there were two lessons here uh, in this passage. As it turns out, they both have to do with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The first lesson, which we focused on last week, had to do with the fact that the disciples had failed to truly learn the things that Jesus had been teaching uh, uh, them about Him. Uh, He had performed two miracles, and yet bread, uh, with bread, and He uh, had proven that the lack of bread was never a problem. And we said uh, they needed to pay attention, and we too need to pay attention to what God is teaching us. Uh, uh, The Lord rebuked them for their lack of faith in Him, not paying better attention to the lessons He'd been teaching them about Himself. And so this morning we'll focus on the second lesson, And this time it's a lesson drawn from those who oppose Him and would not believe on Him. It's a lesson we learn from those who pretended to be seekers of the truth, but in reality were hypocritical about their search. They were in reality seeking to find ways to justify their unbelief. And what Jesus teaches His disciples from this is that they must beware of demanding signs from Jesus demanding that he first prove himself to them before they would submit to him uh, to him uh, by faith. And so let's look closer at this uh, passage this morning. We begin first by noticing the demand Jesus received. The demand that Jesus received. And we notice here his opposers. Who was it that made this demand? Well, it was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, they would join forces together to make this demand of Jesus And it must have been remarkable to those who witnessed it uh, because it would have been hard to find uh, two viewpoints more opposed to one another than those of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, as we look at the Pharisees, uh, that particular group were a religious or political party that had its origin about 200 years before Jesus ever walked on the earth. And at that time, when it seemed as if the whole world was embracing Greek culture, the group of Jewish people arose to combat its influence and preserve the Jewish ways. Eventually, there was one branch of this group that kind of established itself uh, in the regular Jewish life, but they were careful to keep itself uh, separate and distinct from the contaminations of the pagan culture. They were what we would call separatist. Uh, they uh, were eventually named uh, uh, phariseos, which is uh, from the Hebrew word "parish," means to separate. And so, uh, esteemed the oral traditions that were formed around the law of Moses, they developed a rigid and burdensome set of distinct applications of the letter of the law. Uh, they came up with some 600 plus more regulations and laws than what God had given to Moses. Uh, The second group was the Sadducees. And like the Pharisees, they were also political and religious party in the Jewish culture. Some scholars believe they took their name from a high priest in the days of King Solomon by the name of Zadok. The Sadducees rejected the oral traditions that the Pharisees had held to They believed only the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, They said those were the only books that were authoritative. And while the Pharisees believed in angels and spirits and the resurrection of the dead, the Sadducees did not. Now by the time Jesus comes around, the Sadducees were the ruling party of Jewish cultural life. Uh, They were generally very wealthy men. They generally tried to get along with the Roman government, but both groups fought against each other uh, for dominance in their views over the hearts and minds of the Jewish people. And so we have these two groups of people that came to Jesus, two opposing groups within themselves. Now they're going to kind of team up and oppose the Lord Jesus Christ. They came together against the Lord. And even as it says in Psalm 2, verse 1 and 2, why do the heathen rage? Why do the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. And that's what's happening here uh, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now notice, secondly, the demand. The demand. They asked that He would show them a sign from heaven. Now, to appreciate what an outlandish request this is, you have to put things in their context. Jesus had performed a wonderful miracle, you remember. He had fed a multitude of people, 4,000 men plus the women and children, with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. Prior to that, he had fed 5,000 men plus the women and children through a similar miracle. And there were many times that Jesus had healed multitudes of sick people. He had cast out demons. He had cleansed the lepers with a touch. He had given sight to the blind. He had cast out demons with uh, with just a command. And these miracles all testified together to the fact that Jesus Christ was and is the long-awaited promised Messiah through whose ministry the Scriptures said, was to heal the blind, to uh, heal the deaf and the lame and the dumb, as we saw in Isaiah chapter 35. What's more, these were not things he did in the hiding, he did them very publicly. And in this delegation of Pharisees and Sadducees who wanted a sign from heaven, they would have to confess that really had been given many signs already. In fact, They'd have to confess that they'd been given one notable sign in particular. We're told that at Jesus' baptism, and lo, the heavens were open unto Him, and He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, lighting upon Him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this became also the testimony of John the Baptist to uh, some of these same inquisitors who said, And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water. The same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he that baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bare record that this, is the Son of God. This was a sign they had missed, the baptism of Jesus. But in spite of this, they wanted more. They demanded a sign from heaven. Perhaps they wanted to see uh, Him cause the winds to blow from the clouds and part the sea like He had done in Moses' day. Perhaps they wanted Him to cause the sun to stand still in the firmament as He did in Joshua's day. Perhaps they wanted Him to cause fire to come down from the sky and consume the offering as He did in Elijah's day. In any event, they weren't satisfied with how Jesus had already proven Himself. They were not satisfied with what God had already done to testify of Him. They wanted more. They despised the healings and the feedings of the the multitudes. They wanted something big and dramatic not just something on earth, but they wanted to dictate the terms, and they demanded a sign from heaven of their choosing. So that was their demand. But Notice, thirdly, the motive. What was the reason for this? Well, the motive behind this demand for a sign wasn't because they truly wanted a sign. The text tells us here, right at the beginning, they came tempting him. The word here, tempting, is the same one that's used of the actions of the devil in Matthew chapter 4, in verse 1, where it says, Jesus led of the, of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted or tested of the devil. They didn't ask Jesus for a sign from heaven in order to uh, uh, test uh, or tempt him and see if he truly was the uh, Son of God. The Son of God, whom God the Father was well pleased, their minds were already made up. They had already asserted in chapter 9 and verse 34 that He casteth out devils through the prince of the devils. And so they were seeking to trap Him in order to discredit Him in front of the crowds and to justify their hard-heartedness toward them. That leads us, secondly, to the response that Jesus gave. When they made this request, they already knew what his response would be because they had asked this sort of thing before him uh, in chapter 12. But as we look here at Jesus' words about the Pharisees and the Sadducees' abil- ability to determine whether, notice again uh, in, in verse 2 uh, that these verses represent the teaching of Jesus on other occasions. Uh, There was another time when he was teaching in Luke chapter 12 and uh, verse uh, 54 and 56 when he said, And he said unto the people, When ye see a cloud rise out of the west, straightway ye shall see, there cometh a shower. So it is. And when ye see the south wind blow, there will be heat, and it cometh to pass. Ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you do not discern this time? When I was pastoring out in western Kansas, a place that didn't very often see a lot of rain, I became a cloud watcher, especially after working hours and hours out in the fields there and in the tractor, hoping that I could get some time off. You know, if a big old cloud burst would come, I'd have to just shut her down and I'd have to go home. When you see a cloud rise out of the west, and I was looking, back in those days when I was doing that, if a cloud began to build up and get some height, you knew you had a thunderstorm coming. But sometimes those clouds would come up, and then all at once it would just go like that. You said, forget it, it's not coming. It's not going to rain. Of course, the farmers, they wanted the rain out there, but I just wanted some time off. (laughs) But you can tell things like that. You can know if the wind's coming from the south, it's probably going to be a warmer wind. If it's coming from the north, it's going to be cold. Some very practical things. Now, uh, we use the saying that we have here in another form. We say, red sky at night, sailor's delight. But red sky in the morning, sailor take warning. Uh, that's where this comes from, uh, or that's uh, that. This is where that comes from, I should say. If we assume, as I believe we safely can, that Jesus said something like this to the Pharisees and Sadducees, it served as a severe rebuke to their pretense in seeking a sign. They had the abilities, as you and I do, many times to read the sky. You know, and sometimes we think I know more than the weatherman. You know, a weatherman who can be right 50% of the time and still get paid. Or he could be wrong 50% of the time and still get paid. They had the ability to read the skies, they could look at the signs that were already in the heavens, and they could make accurate predictions and affirmations about the weather. We can do the same thing today, even more so, perhaps. But Jesus rebuked them for not being able to discern the signs of the times. Notice there's some more signs that they missed. They were not recognizing what the Apostle Paul later affirmed when he said, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son. They had missed that sign. They had not been paying attention to the signs that were already around them. Uh, They had not, for example, recognized they were supposed to know the Bible, the book, the Old Testament. And they didn't recognize the book of Daniel had already specified centuries prior to this the very time when the Messiah would come and lay down His life. In Daniel chapter 9, we read that the angel told Daniel, Now therefore... And understand that from the going forth of the commandment to, the, to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again in the wall, even the troublous times, and after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince shall come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined." A week. And Daniel was a a prophetic seven years. One week. And a command of King Artaxerxes to rebuild the temple in 445 B.C. to passing of a total of 69 weeks of years. And we come to the time when Jesus died on the cross. And they should have been watching. They should have seen this sign. Because the signs of the times pointed to His coming. It's a sign they missed the prophecy of Daniel. Nor had they recognized the promises of the Old Testament about the coming of John the Baptist. They should have recognized John for what he said he was. The voice of one crying in the wilderness in John chapter 1, But that was promised in Isaiah 40 and verse 3 where it says, The voice of Him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. They should have recognized... John, as a fulfillment of what it says in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. And they should have remembered the last promise of the Old Testament. The promise found in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, where it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. They missed the prophecy of Malachi. Now, I don't believe that it was as if God was opposed to giving signs from heaven, One of the signs, and uh, we must not have it in here, but uh, there's another sign. Before I get to the one on Jonah, there was a sign of the wise man who came from the east, where he said, where is he that is born the king of the Jews? We've seen a star in the east. So God's not opposed to giving... Proofs that he has a uh, to those that have a sincere heart of worship, and I believe is what Jesus is saying. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. The attitude of the heart with which they demanded a sign from heaven was not that God was inclined to honor. How much more wicked can a generation get than the generation that uh, Jonah was supposed to go to? He says here in our text, he says, no no sign shall be given to that generation but the sign of the prophet Jonas. You see, we're not left to even figure that out on our own. We don't have to come up and say, well, what did he mean by that? Because he told us. Jesus told us in Matthew 12, verse 40, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Three days and three nights that the prophet Jonah spent in the belly of the great fish. A symbolic picture of the three days and three nights that Jesus would spend in the tomb after his crucifixion. And then as Jesus was crucified, well, that's really no sign because many others were crucified too. There were two others crucified with him. So the crucifixion isn't a sign, but that he was buried was not a sign because those who were crucified were also buried, but the fact that he left that tomb, he rose again. That was the sign. That was the sign of Jonah. Crucified, buried, and only stayed in that tomb for three days, and he arose. And that's how Jonah was assigned to the people that God had sent him to, because Jesus says, For as Jonas was assigned unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation, Luke 11, verse 30. Jonah, having been spit up by the great fish, walking around alive in Nineveh, was a sign to the Ninevites. And Jesus, having been raised out of the tomb on the third day and presenting himself alive to Jerusalem, was a sign to the wicked and adulterous generation. And it's a sign to the whole world. As Paul said to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17 and verse 31, God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man which he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. He also writes in Romans 1-4, concerning God's Son, Jesus Christ, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they came to test Jesus. But the resurrection is what tests all people. To those who are seeking a sign uh, in order to justify their unbelief, the resurrection of Lord Jesus is the only sign that they'll be given. And even then, they'll not believe it. But to those who uh, genuinely and sincerely seek the truth, the resurrection is the only sign that's necessary. And that leads us to the warning that Jesus gave. After this encounter that Jesus had with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he told his disciples, he warned them, and that was our verse from last week, Jesus told his disciples, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. You see, Jesus uses leaven or yeast, a symbol of that which is small, operates and spreads in a hidden way. And that once allowed into a thing, it spreads its influence and it ends up permeating the whole thing. And just as the little leaven leavens the whole lump, a little leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees would work as well and work its way in and spread its influence and permeate the whole uh, whole of a person's soul. Well, the... Disciples, you remember, they misunderstood this. They thought Jesus was talking about literal bread. But he corrected them and he says, How is it that ye do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? And he goes on to tell them, Then understood they that bade them not beware of leaven and bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so here, Matthew explains that Jesus spoke of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, what does this mean? I believe we're given the fullest explanation in Matthew 23, and we'll study that chapter when we get to it. But As you go back to Luke chapter 12 and verse 1, we're told that Jesus on another occasion gave us the answer about the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He said it's hypocrisy. And I believe that is specifically what is meant in this particular context as well. The outward form of what the disciples needed to be on guard for against from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Sadducees was their doctrine or their teaching. They appeared in the eyes of people to be sincere seekers of the truth, but inward nature of that which they were doing, the dangerous leavening aspect was that of hypocrisy. They were pretending to seek the truth, but they were not seeking the truth at all. They were pretending to be religious, And they were religious, but they were not truly religious in the sense of God's viewpoint. All the signs and the evidences were pointing to the fact that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, the Son of God, the King of the Jews, and they didn't want Him. They didn't want to bow down to Him. They did not want to worship Him. They did not want to accept God's plan of the cross. Their pursuit of truth was a sham. And so Jesus is warning His disciples, and He's warning you and me today. Beware of that attitude. Be on guard against the hypocritical pretense of seeking the truth, often characterized by seeking signs. I believe what God says if He does this or that oh, I'll put my faith in Jesus if He shows me the evidence I demand of Him. It's all right here. There's no more that you need. The reality is He's already given to us the evidence we need to have saving faith in the cross of Jesus Christ, and to ask more is to ask out of a wicked and adulterous heart. Now, in closing, I'd like to point out that not all of these Pharisees were hypocrites. There was at least one who had already seen the signs, he had studied them, and he sought the Lord Jesus in sincerity. remember who he was? You'll find him in John chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of of the Jews, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And note, it was that this could be known, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Nicodemus, the Pharisee that believed Jesus, was a teacher come from God. And Jesus responded to his faith by giving him more. He taught him even more. He taught him that he must be born again. He gave him those words that led to the salvation of countless numbers of people ever since. He gave Nicodemus the words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'm just so glad Nicodemus came because that verse was the verse used to lead me to Christ. You see, all the evidence any genuine, sincere seeker of the truth needs has already been made available. All that God has revealed about Jesus is sufficient for a sincere faith in Him and His cross. And now it's up to us to receive it by faith, believe it, Believe on the sacrifice on the cross that He made on our behalf. Yield ourselves to Him as our Savior. May God help us to believe with the sincerity of heart and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Let's bow our heads in prayer. I wonder this morning, why are you in church? I trust it's because... You are a sincere seeker of the truth. I trust you're not here because of your hypocrisy, that you want to appear to be religious, that you just want to appear to be interested in the things of God, but that you are truly interested in what God has for you. if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then today would be a day to come to Him in sincerity and truth and accept what He's given to us as the signs from heaven. His death, burial, and resurrection. And put your faith and your trust in Him. As a Christian... Are you continually trusting him day by day? Father in heaven, as we close the service this morning, I pray that you will, by the Spirit of God, direct in our hearts and our lives to be sincere and genuine in our seeking of the truth of your word and what you would have for us. Help us to take what you've given to us and Take it to heart, to believe it, to live it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.